And perhaps this is the first game my dad ever really saw me play. To be a disciple is to live a life knowing your father is always seeing you play. There's a different kind of inspiration for living when you can connect relationally to God to handle all the circumstances of your life. And one of those places, that transformation, that, that walking to a different drummer is most apparent is when we don't reciprocate evil for evil, but we surprise evil supernaturally with good that's unexplainable unless it's flowing from a different source. Reciprocity is pretty easy to understand and, and quite often expected. The doctor was surprised. You know, he, 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 he turned to the woman and said, no, no, you don't understand. Uh, yes, it's true. After uh, your cat scratched you, 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 you have tested positive for rabies, but... Uh, you, you don't understand, this is not a death sentence. Uh, this, is, this is very treatable. We can treat this and we can cure you. Why, why, when I told you that the rabies was confirmed, did you take out your pad and start writing names? And uh, you, you don't need to be filling out a last will and testament here. You're, you don't need to be... She says, no, I'm, I'm not writing down names to bless. I'm writing out the names of people I'm going to bite. <laughs> now, humanly speaking, we understand that. You know, if, 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 if someone mistreats you, you mistreat them wrongly in return. In fact, uh, there was a time before Jesus spoke this that it was considered a matter of, of noble heart, not only to love those that you love, but to really hate those that you hated. And so Jesus' words were completely out of left field. You've heard it said, uh, well, let's just turn there. He mentions this in, in Matthew chapter 5. And we find this same thought being repeated as a mark of the life of a disciple in Romans 12. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, uh, four, beginning with 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Why? Here's the why. In order that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. In order that you may play the game of life with a heart to understand who it is you play for. Who it is that your life is responding to. In order that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good. It, it, it's, it's not whether or not they deserve it. It's 
what is his nature towards all that he loves, whether evil or good. He still causes his son to rise upon them and sends rain on both the righteous and the unrighteous. Not because the unrighteous are as deserving as the righteous, but because God is love. And so he sends rain to those that he loves, whether or not they are righteous or unrighteous. It's because of who he is, not because of what they deserve. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Well, what reward? Who's the rewarder? That this same father that you're proving to be a son of, right? Do not even the tax gatherers do the same. And if you greet your brothers only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. The word there for perfect is, is hard to translate. It's teleos. It, it, it means uh, be fully what you were designed to be. Fill it out. Go the whole distance. Don't stop short. In the words of the armed forces, be all that you can be. Right? Be that Full in your purpose as God is. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Mirror him to the world and his presence in you to the world. Love your enemies. Not easy to do. It's hard to do. It's impossible to do. Unless... Our loving God lives within us. If we live in relationship to a loving God, then we can surrender to God. We can love God. We can live separate for the world. Instead of uh, loving the world, we can love his word and his promises rather than the promises that are lies of the world to satisfy We can surrender to God. We can separate from the world. We can have a sober self-assessment because there is uh, an accepting of us, a vindicating of us in the grace of God. That means we no longer have anything to prove. We can see ourselves for who we really are and not lose any value because the price, our value, has already been paid and it's been testified to by God himself the price tag hangs from a cross. We can serve in Christian community because we can get out of the way now, not having to prove something to others or prove something to ourselves, but defined by our relationship with our God. We're now free to love others and be concerned more about their needs. We can even surprise evil with good. We can love our enemies. It's all about love because we are living loved. Love even your enemies. Well, if we're going to do that, I just want to unpack quite quickly uh, what that means. If if you're going to love your enemies, and this means, uh, let's turn to the Romans passage that echoes that now. Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you, bless and curse not. 
What does it mean to bless them? Well, it means more than just the bless you that you do in a sneeze. This is not a greeting. (laughs) This is blessing as God would bless. This means wishing God's best for those who have done their worst to you. Again, impossible. This is a supernatural sort of thing. But if we're going to wish God's best for them, then we have to wish God's forgiveness to them as God has forgiven us. It's not about what they deserve. It's about what they need. It's about Jesus speaking from his cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. It's about Stephen saying the same thing as he was being stoned to death by his enemies. If we're going to bless others, then we must, first of all, take a step to forgive them for what they've done against us. And forgiveness has three phases. Uh, There's the phase where um, it comes in a point in time where we choose to forgive. It has nothing to do with feelings. It has everything to do with a willful choice. Jesus even modeled that. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? And and as he makes a choice to lay down his life for us, not to claim his rights. He's righteous. He has no sin to pay for. But, But to do something out of loving sacrifice for us, he prays, Father, not what I will, but what you will. Lots of times when we start this journey of forgiveness, we start at that same place. Where we say, God, it's not in me. I don't want to forgive this person. I don't feel like forgiving this person. Forgiveness rarely starts with the feel like. It didn't even start there for Jesus. Nevertheless, what thy wills, right? It's it's in obedience and in response to that relationship with God that we choose in honoring him to forgive that scumbag. Right? Because truly in that moment, lots of times, that's exactly how we feel about that person. If we're going to wait till our feelings change, forgiveness will likely never start. Lots of times people who have offended us never repent, never say they're sorry. But God calls us to love even our enemies. In our Gethsemanes, we will have to choose to forgive even before the feelings necessarily are there. I, I, I remember one time in, in my life, I, many of you know that uh, I, I was divorced earlier in my years. And uh, in that process, after the fact, um, there was a lot of still me there. And you know, Jesus was living within, but a lot of times I wasn't letting him lead the response. You know what I'm saying? I was ticked. <laughs> I was angry. I can't even use the right words to properly frame the fury that was a part of my soul during some of those years. And I had absolutely no feeling for forgiveness. I was just trying to hold myself back from retribution. Spiritual giant that I am, you know. But people kept asking me, have you forgiven her? Have you forgiven her? And that made me more angry. 
forgive her. What, what she, you know, that was wrong. Uh, but there came a point when my anger turned and I realized that if I was ever going to get well and move on in life, that this was a step that I had to take. And God convinced me that to honor him, I was going to have to become a person that when people said, have you forgiven, I could say yes. But there wasn't much feeling about it. I remember the day I chose, listen, I chose to be a forgiver. And that started a process. But you can choose to forgive and not yet be at the end of that process. Have you forgiven? I I think that forgiveness kind of works itself out in three phases. There's a place where we choose to forgive even when the feelings aren't there. And then it starts a process by which we claim in God's sight that we are a forgiver. And so every time the anger comes up, every time the resentment comes up, every time something reminds you of this wrong that was done to you and rises up within. You know what I'm talking about? I'm the only one. Okay. Uh, When you recognize it and you say, God, I've chosen to be a forgiver and that is not what's coming up from the depths right now. I recognize my anger. I recognize my fury. You recognize that it was wrong. God, help me give that to you. I'm just going to give you that emotion, right? And pray for that person. And pray for you to cleanse my heart. Every time it comes up. Every time I'm watching a movie and out of nowhere something reminds me. Every time someone asks, have you forgiven here? I'm going, you know what, I'm I'm in that moment going to let you deal with this emotion that's still there. I'm not going to pretend it's not there. I'm not going to deny it. I'm going to let you deal with it. You're the one who's called me to forgive. And I'm just going to lay that before you and I'm going to give that to you. I'm going to ask you to take out of my heart what's too slippery for me to get a hold of. And I'm just going to start processing that with you. And there were a long time when that happened. More and more times when the, the pendulum of that, that anger would swing to one side. And, or depression on the other side when I would turn it inwardly. And that, that pendulum swings for quite a while after you've been hurt as deeply as many of us are in circumstances like a divorce. But over time, the pendulum, God dealing with it, came to swing less violently. But there there was a moment when a counselor sat down with me because I was struggling to forgive. And he says, I want you to put that person in the chair apart from you. And I want, across from you. And I want you to say before me and before God everything that you feel. <laughs> he didn't know what he asked. Boy, I, I let it go for a while. I'm not even sure the chair was still whole when I got done. You know what I'm talking about? But, but in the process of that, all that coming. God, he, this guy started to pray for me. And there was just this flooding healing, cathartic release that came in that moment. And it wasn't long after that that my ex called me. It was about two years later. And she made small talk over the phone, and I thought it was an odd phone call, and then she just started weeping. 
And she said, you know, I, I, I realized that I made some mistakes and I hurt you deeply. And I, I want you to know that God and I have gotten back on the same page. And people, people keep telling me that God has forgiven me. But there's something about that I can't fully receive until I know if you have forgiven me. And she asked, would you forgive me? And in that moment, it was as if it was done. It was done. There was no longer this seething anger, the hurt. Somehow God had healed in my heart, the natural response was celebration that she had reconnected with God, that God had brought her to this point, and God had brought me to the point that I could say, not just I choose to forgive, not just I'm in the process of forgiving, but God had worked that process faithfully to the point that I could say, you are forgiven. Count it done. And I, I can't explain how God works that miracle when you're faithful to the process, but you'll know you're done when your heart is so changed that your, uh, your natural response is one to bless, to rejoice with those who rejoice, to weep with those who weep, where previously you would have been, oh, they're having a bad day. Isn't that grand? You know? But when your natural response has been so transformed by God working in you that you realize you've come to a place that you really are done. And some of you need to hear that this morning, that that place in your life is on the path in front of you if you choose to forgive. It's not something that I promise. It's something that I think God and his word promises. Forgiveness has phases, and it's not just a... A moment's decision, though it begins there. It's also a process, and it's also a perfecting where it's fully walked out. And you can hear further stages in that here in this passage. Where we come to the place where we can not only just endure a wrong done to us, but we can even bless those who have persecuted us. Where we can bless and curse not, rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. We come to a place that we can identify. We're no longer against them. We're pulling for them. We weep with those who weep. We rejoice with those who rejoice. And I know you've heard that said of what, how we live with one another in the body of Christ. Romans 12 says that in the body of Christ, we weep with those who weep and we rejoice with those who rejoice. We, we, we share uh, that kind of life with those whom we love the most. But this is not in that context. This is not talking about how we deal with one another when we're brothers and sisters with one another. This is talking about the kind of heart that you can have for someone who is wounding you, someone who has persecuted you, someone who is your enemy. That's remarkable when you have that kind of love just for those who love you back. But to have that kind of love for those who are persecuting you, that's supernatural. God must uh, be in that. We forgive. We come to the point that our hearts are no longer against, but they're actually for, pulling for that other person. And then finally it says here, uh, verse 16, 
Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Associate. Not just identify, but associate. Could God so transform your wounded heart that in the future you could be in the same room with that same person and feel completely different things about being in their presence? See, it's, it's, it's one thing to forgive someone and leave them at a safe distance. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, all, all of us have been there. And, and, and sometimes you have to have boundaries with people who are going to continue to wound you. But could God do such a work in your heart that later on you could be in the same room with that person with a changed heart so that your relationship with that person is completely transformed because you're no longer the person that you were when you were wounded by them. That's a work of God. But if we relate to him, it's possible. We can even go there. Uh... I, I, don't, I don't think Sandy would mind me sharing this story because she, she shared it as, uh, uh, as her story as uh, she decided to take a break from fellowshipping with us here at this church and she became a member of a church that was closer to her home. Uh, S- Sandy was one of our champions in CR, Celebrate Recovery. And I won't go into the details of her story. That's hers to share, but she had been wounded repeatedly over her life and she had come to understand that unless she let go of those wounds that that woundedness and the bitterness that she carried in it was going to continue to poison every other relationship every other way of relating she had when Jesus calls us to forgive he's really calling us to release ourselves no matter how things work out with another person that's God's business we can't control that But God is calling us to drop the rock. To hang on to resentment and bitterness from someone who has hurt you is like trying to tread water with a rock, you know? Someone pushes you overboard, you know, and then they throw you a rock. And you hang on to the rock just to prove they're the one that pushed you. I mean, that's the insanity of storing resentment and that kind of poison within the soul. You can't keep it directed just at that person. When you take that kind of stuff in, it it pollutes the groundwaters of your whole person and how you relate to everyone. So that that one that you want so much to get back at because they're ruining your life, you're actually helping them ruin your life by not letting go. Drop the rock. Right. She was a champion of our Celebrate Recovery, where we overcome things that hurts and habits and hang-ups. All of us have them. Uh, and she shared with us in Celebrate Recovery, and, and even from our pulpit here, how God had healed her as she had walked through a process of forgiveness in each one of those situations. And that forgiveness was real. And if you haven't come to the point yet or do not have the opportunity or if it is not wise then to reassociate with someone who has wounded you, uh, perhaps that's not possible. 
But I've got to admit, I, w- I was just a little bit shocked and blown away. When Sandy said that the reason that she was going to be going to church closer to home because something had claimed so much more of her schedule. And this is what it was. Her ex-husband, who I would just imagine, not knowing the details of that story, was probably a big part of those wounds, had fallen ill. And she, as the ex-wife, had chosen to become his caregiver. Made me say, what? You're going to do what? And I wondered, is this healthy? You know, are, are, are you going to go care for him in some way of, of, of trying to reestablish a relationship, of, of, try, of trying to draw something out of that relationship that maybe you've missed in the past? Are you going back there to write something that was wrong? And I realized as I talked to Sandy that none of that was the case. She was not trying to fulfill some old unsatisfied need. She was so healed of that need, so healed by God, that she could become the primary caregiver, loving someone else as Christ loves her, even though that had never been reciprocated so far as I know from the other. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's one thing to get to the place where you know in your own heart you've forgiven. All right, and then, and then maybe to be able in moments to connect with that person, hold your breath long enough that you can get away from one another and, and still survive it. You know what I'm talking about? Let's be real, right? To, to live on opposite sides of the country and occasionally write a note, right? To, to, to look at each other's Facebook and say, that's plenty close enough, Right? But, but what kind of transformation of heart is it to so let God get a hold of you that you now are a different person relating to your enemy? What kind of witness is that to them? How do you think the Pharisees took it that day? They were wringing their hands in satisfaction as Jesus was hanging on the cross. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I love in the passion of the Christ. When one of the thieves on the cross turns to the self-righteous Pharisee as he's walking away and says, See, see, he prays for you. And, and that chief priest pauses. You can tell he's stunned. This is not compute. What has Jesus done? He hasn't forced anybody's hand. But in that moment, he has is, he is created a cul-de-sac on otherwise, what was otherwise a highway for evil. This Pharisee was committing to taking Jesus to the mat. And then somewhere, something completely unanticipated, evil, surprised by good, creates this little cul-de-sac where this chief priest goes, What was that? But when we get to the place that we can even love our enemies... God can do redemptive, breakthrough stuff with that kind of witness in other people's lives. We don't force it. We don't do it as a matter of self-congratulations. I am so Christian. 
that I can now forgive even a scumbag like you. That, that, is, that is not the attitude. Read a little bit further, and it says, not with conceit, not with arrogance, but humbly associating with those, right? In humility, Jesus wasn't proving his spiritual superiority, though I think that kind of came across. Even the thief on the cross noticed it. He, he forgives you in the movie. When love this out of place happens, the world stops and notices. And you, my friend, can be capable of that kind of love, even to your enemies, if you're living love. By this cross-bearing Jesus. Let me close with this. There's uh, Chip Ingram, from whom we take this uh, sermon series. Says that in, in college, he was a freshman and playing on a, a college basketball team. And there was an upperclassman, came in, Juco uh, transfer. Uh, you know, Chip Ingram, six foot tall, little point guard. Pete Maravich, kind of ball handler. That, that kind of, and, and this guy's six foot eight. He said he had just come back from Vietnam. Uh, he grew up in the hood in New York. He was supposed to be the, that all for the team, uh, the new star and all that kind of stuff. He had all this attitude, and he picked Chip out as the freshman that he was going to mercilessly uh, haze, you know, as he became part of the team. And uh, he said he couldn't even repeat the kind of things that he would say about him, humiliating him in the, in the locker room and all that kind of stuff. And as a freshman, he made him his slave, you know, uh, go get this, put this in my bag, get me another helping of, of uh, meat at the cafeteria, the athletic dorm. He was just relentlessly uh, on Chip. And Chip was a brand new Christian. He'd been a Christian maybe uh, six months and he had gone to his Bible study leader and said, what do I do about this, this upperclassman? This guy is such a jerk. I mean, Jerry is just off the scales, and he is after me. And I, I, you know, I, 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 I don't know how to respond. And the guy said, well, he read in this very passage that you should pray for those who persecute you, and you should bless those who persecute you. And he, Chip said, what? Are you kidding me? I, I don't want to bless this guy. I want to kill him. How, you know, uh, But he was a new Christian, and a lot of things didn't make sense to him then, and so he thought he'd give it a try. And so he found himself uh, choosing to, to pack the guy's bag. Um, he'd ask Jerry after class, you know, Jerry, you want a Coke? Jerry, can I carry your stuff? Jerry, you need some help getting some stuff off the... Nice shot, Jerry. I mean, it hadn't been that way before. You know, Pete very rich ball handling skills as he had. He, he had t- you know, the thing about Jerry was he didn't know if it was Nam or his growing up in New York City, but his nerves were a little fried, you know. And, and, and so he, he took glee, you know, in the no-look pass when Jerry wasn't expecting it. You know, and Jerry, Jerry would fly around, you know, uh, and take it off. And, you know, he, he would pass it through his legs and make him fumble it and look like an idiot. He, he, he took glee as a freshman in making this upperclassman look foolish until the day that this got a hold of his heart. And he started choosing every day to find a way to bless this guy. And he said, you know, as I begin to do that, my heart began to change. And I actually began to 
be concerned about Jerry. And it became more natural to even pray for Jerry. And he said, now I wish I could tell you that Jerry at some point became this grand Christian and surrendered his heart to, the God, to God. But he said, you know, that never happened. But he said, uh, Jerry's senior year, as they were in a, uh, a tournament at the end of the year, Jerry and Chip had an opportunity uh, to come back from one of those games on the way to the hotel, and they, they were alone for a moment. And Jerry said, you know, uh, there's two people on this team that I respect. I respect myself because I'm evil, and I know it, and I make no apologies for it. And I respect you because you're a Christian, and you live it. And though I'd never be a Christian, I'd never consider it. If I was going to be one, I'd be one like you. Not just because of the impact of the witness, but because of what it does in our own hearts. God calls us to be free enough of the wounds of this world that we can live our lives in response to how he loves us. And that equips us not only to love God, to love ourselves, to love one another that's for us, but even radically frees us to love our enemies. So this is the question. Who's your enemy? Who's wounded you? And the process has not fully unfolded yet. Maybe you're still just choosing to forgive. Maybe you're in the process of forgiving. Maybe you've forgiven, but you've just left it there when your witness can go far much farther than that. Live out fully what God has designed you for. Live out fully what relationship with him equips you for. Love even your enemies. And prove who your father is. There's nothing he'll ever ask you to do for anyone that he hasn't first done for you. Lord Jesus, this morning we, we, we hear a, a difficult call, an impossible call to love our enemies. But Father, we pray that you would so be real within our own hearts that we would be released to supernaturally surprise, evil with your good. May it live in us. May it transform us. May it so free us, Lord God, that the unmistakable, unmistakable marks of your workmanship in our hearts might be made known. Release us, Lord God, to be those who love like you do. Mark us as your disciples by how we not only love one another and love you, 
but how we love even our enemies. For that person that has come to mind for us, God, show us where we are in that process. Help us to know what the next step is. And then, Lord, help us to run to you for the resources that are necessary to even begin. Help us to drop the rock. And free us to a love that's more powerful than even our hurt. We ask it in your holy name. We stand and sing now, trusting your spirit to continue to minister to ours. Empower us, Lord God, by your love that we might love as you. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Let's stand as we sing.